Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 291 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas. And I'm excited about my topic today because I'm going to ask you some questions to help you examine your own training. And the question, fundamental question is going to be, is your training polarized enough? Are you varying your training enough in order to optimize its results? Because the harsh reality as a coach who sees people come into my program, oftentimes people aren't. Too much the same thing all the time. And so I'm going to ask you eight questions for you to examine your own training to determine whether or not it's polarized enough, meaning you have enough variation in your training in order to ultimately reach your potential. So I'll get to that topic in just a second. First of all, wanted to quickly thank my sponsors for this episode, Care Of and Zencaster will be supporting me with this one. I'll be talking more about them as we go through the episode. And then secondly, wanted to talk about Berlin, Berlin Marathon, and also talk about the Chicago Marathon coming up this weekend as I record here before it. Berlin, what can we say? I talked about it on my last episode that Kipchoge might set a record, and indeed he did, 201.09 to beat his prior world record and in just amazing fashion. Went out at a similar pace for the half marathon that he did in the sub two effort under one hour and then ultimately faded in air quotes a little bit to finish in that 201 to set a new record beating his previous world record and just absolutely demolishing the field. Second place was in 205 and change, so he won by over four minutes. And that's just Kipchoge doing Kipchoge things. He is the greatest marathoner ever, and his consistency and ability to win and put up times with very little variation is just absolutely unbelievable. And I've got a little comment on that in a second. And then on the women's side, we had T just... Asafa, maybe pronouncing that wrong, but she just Asafa ran a 2.15 to set the course record by nearly three minutes. She is an actually an 800 meter runner originally in the 2016 Olympics for Ethiopia, who had already run one marathon in 2.34 and then took almost 20 minutes off of that time to earn this course record. So pretty unbelievable, pretty impressive. It'll be interesting to see where she can go with that 800 meter speed now extended over to the marathon. She nearly set a women's only world record was just off of that, but did set the course record in in just absolutely smashing fashion and won going away for sure in that race. And then on the women's side, also you had Kira D'Amato, the American favorite who Finished in sixth, she ran a 221.48, a solid, solid time for her, but well off the American record goal that she had for this race to break her own American record. So fast times at Berlin, we had 29 rogue athletes there. Many of them had amazing races, so it was a day to go get it in Berlin. Kipchoge did, Asafa did, Kira D'Amato still ran well, but didn't quite get the result that she had hoped for. But I wanted to comment on that, especially comparing it to Kipchoge, because when you looked at Kira's result, 221.48, an amazing time for sure, still, but well off a couple of minutes off of what she wanted for an American record. And I think some of that relates to the fact that she had just raced worlds 
in August and then had a fairly quick turnaround to get to Berlin about a month and a half later. And one of the things, if you look at Kipchoge over the years, is that he has traditionally only done a couple of marathons a year, one in the spring, one in the fall, and has not stacked back-to-back marathons together ever. And as a result, you see a very consistent set of performances from him. And those that try to turn around and come back and do quick marathons, even with the super suit technology, Kira D'Amato being one, are sub, seeing suboptimal results in that second race. Sarah Hall was another who wanted to come back for Berlin, but ultimately got an injury in training for that after doing Worlds. She's hoping still to race New York later this fall. But there's this question out there that's been lingering about whether or not you can run multiple marathons in a short period of time because of the super shoes and the recovery that you can see from them. But if you look at the actual results on the ground, typically we're not seeing that happen. And the best of the best, i.e. Kipchoge, are still keeping that two marathon, two peaks a year cadence and finding success and results. For the most part, those that are trying otherwise doing back-to-back races are not being are not able to sustain the performance and or getting injured along the way like Sarah Hall has many times. And so I only say that and point that out to remind people that the traditional things that we know about how the body works and how peaking works in an aerobic standpoint, from an aerobic standpoint, all those things are still true. Yes, super shoes make you faster. Yes, potentially there's more rapid recovery wearing them because of the energy return you're getting from that footwear. But at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can go grab another peak a month later, two months later, at especially the marathon distance. The traditional rules are still proving out when it comes to how athletes are peaking even at the highest level. So keep that in mind can only peak two or three times a year. So you really should put your apples in a handful of baskets rather than trying to spread those out too far. So now as we turn to this weekend, Chicago Marathon is on tap. Looks like the weather is going to also be amazing, especially relative to what they had last year. We've got Emily Sisson, who according to her coach is going to be taking a stab at the American record potentially. You also have Galen Rupp in this race as the two top Americans and a deep international field as well. So I think it's going to be a fast one and the condition should promote big results in this one. So definitely one to tune in on. So good luck to everybody racing in Chicago. If you happen to be one of those in the main field, again, we've got about 30 rogues there and I'll be cheering from here in Austin, excited to see what results come from what looks to be knock on wood, some great weather coming this weekend there. All right, so let's jump into the main topic today. Again, we're going to be talking about is your training polarized enough? Are you varying your training enough in order to get the optimal benefits from it? And so just to to back up a second before we dig into the questions, and again, I'm going to ask you eight questions that you can ask yourself about your own training. But I wanted to, first of all, just lay the groundwork and talk about the reasons why we need polarized training. Polarized training is what enables us to build our engine in a way that will make us the fastest versions of ourselves. 
And at the very simplest analogy, if I use a car analogy, like a car engine, if you think of your aerobic system as a car engine, then the size of your engine, the number of cylinders is one variable. And then the other variable is how revved up or how optimized that engine is at its given size. And the thing about the aerobic system is that when you're building the engine size, when you're adding cylinders, that happens in a certain specific way. And when you're fine tuning the engine, when you're taking the engine that you have, the size that it is, and you're trying to make it most optimized and revved up to the max, that's a different activity in order to do that. So it's fine tuning the engine versus building the engine. Those two things happen in very different ways. And in order to optimize the whole equation, meaning give you the biggest engine possible while also fine tuning it to the best of its ability, then you have to put those activities together in a way that ultimately gives you the biggest, fastest engine possible. But again, those activities that do those various piece parts, build the size, fine tune, are different and they're polarized. They look very different from each other and they require variation. And so the question ultimately is, are you polarizing and varying your training enough to build the size of your engine while simultaneously fine tuning the engine in a way that's going to optimize that engine overall? Another thing to, to think about in the context of this discussion is that in order to build fitness, you have to stress the body at various times, meaning you do work, and then you have to recover from that work when the actual repair happens. That's when the true fitness building happens. So when we stress the body, when we give it stimulus, we tear it down, we break it down, we cause damage, and then when we recover, which is typically going to be active recovery, which we'll talk about, then that's when we actually build fitness back up because you're repairing the body, putting the parts back together, and ultimately repairing it to a bigger, faster engine so that you can go faster down the road. But you have to have that balance. Stress plus rest equals growth. Stress plus recovery equals growth. And if you're not balancing the stress and recovery well enough, then you're just beating your head against the wall. And so you have to polarize those two things. Work hard sometimes recover others in order to optimize the overall equation. So those are a couple of ways to think about why it's important to polarize your training. But then you got to ask yourself, am I doing it enough? Because for the most part, people that come to me aren't. Because when you think about running training and given the lack of information that might exist in the general public, the typical mistake that I see people make is they think that if they go out and run the same loop over and over again near their house or workplace and do it a little bit faster from day to day, then that's going to equate to them getting faster in the long term. And the reality is that's just not true because they're typically running the same pace all the time. They're racing themselves all the time. They're not recovering from that. And what happens is they might see some benefit initially because any stimulus is going to give you some growth but then they'll plateau really quickly or commonly will get injured because they're essentially racing themselves every time they go out on that three or four mile loop around their house. And so you have to polarize 
your training in order to make sure that the piece parts are built together, that the puzzle is fit together in a way that optimizes the whole. And if you're not doing that, then you're doing it wrong. And you're certainly not going to reach your potential and likely you're going to end up injured along the way. So we're going to ask you today, am I polarizing my training enough? What are the key questions I should be asking myself in order to make sure that I'm doing that appropriately? And so I'm going to ask you those questions. You can do a little self-examination and then decide where are the variables that you need to work on in order to be better, be faster, have a bigger engine that is nice and revved up and fine-tuned. So here we go. What are those questions? I've got eight for you. Number one, are you doing enough volume at easy efforts versus faster efforts? Are you doing enough volume at easy efforts versus fast efforts? Again, as I mentioned, one of the common mistakes people make in this sport is they're going out and they're running the same distance and they're running too fast all the time. The reality is that you need to be running 80% or more of your runs at easy effort. Building volume at easy effort is the single most important way that you're going to get faster in the long term from whatever your starting point may be. Because when we build volume and when we build consistent easy volume, that's where the magic happens. That's how you build aerobic capacity, which is ultimately how you build, if I go back to the car analogy, the size of your engine so that you have as many cylinders as possible. And ultimately, we'd rather have an eight-cylinder V8 than we'd want a four-cylinder that's really revved up. So are you doing enough volume at easy efforts? So what does that look like? Typically, for somebody that's training for a half marathon or marathon, I like to see them, if possible, running at least five days a week. We'll talk in a minute about how those days might be constructed, but I want to see you running at least five days a week, which means that if you take those five days, you multiply it times 80%, that four of those runs are easy, and one of those runs is when you actually have quality built in, where you're working the faster into the range. So is that true for you? Or instead, are you running too fast multiple days or maybe doing a couple of workouts a week, which is common if you might pull a training program off the web where you might see someone have two speed workouts a week. And honestly, for most of us, as we develop, that's too much. 80-20, 80% easy runs, one quality workout a week. If you're doing more than that, then that's primarily something that's reserved for the most experienced of athletes that have already made progress building their aerobic capacity. So don't do that. Don't do more than one speed workout a week. Focus your easy work where you should, four or five days a week if you're running six, and do one speed workout a week, not more. That's the optimized way to build the overall engine and balance the engine size versus the fine tuning part. Because when we run easy and when we run more, that's building engine capacity, that's building aerobic capacity. When we run fast, that's fine tuning the engine, that's revving it up and making sure it's optimized. But again, you'd rather have a V8 than a revved up four cylinder all day long. The V8's gonna win. So we have to build the size of our engine by building aerobic capacity, and that's done by primarily easy running most of the week. 
Because remember, what happens if we step away from the car analogy for a second and we actually talk about what's happening inside the body? When you run easy, when you run more, two things happen. One, you actually build aerobic capacity because that's done at easy efforts. And when I talk about aerobic capacity, I'm talking about the global ability for your body to process oxygen from the air to your working muscles and the entire chain reaction of things that has to happen to make that work. So you're optimizing all of those piece parts from improving lung capacity to improving the ability for your lungs to pass oxygen into your bloodstream to improving the number of red blood cells you have in your bloodstream that can carry oxygen to improving the ability for your red blood cells and your bloodstream to pass oxygen into your working muscles to adding capillaries. Literally, you build new blood vessels as a part of this process to adding mitochondria within your cells and to improving those mitochondria that you have, improving their ability to function and perform respiration. So that entire chain of events is improved and optimized from the inside out by primarily doing that easy running. And if you're not running easy enough, then you're Again, you're, you're plateauing, you're sub-optimizing the overall picture because you're working on something else. So slow down. I like to say you got to go slow to go fast. So go slow down most of the time in order to build aerobic capacity, in order to build engine size. And then occasionally, one day a week, work speed where you can then fine tune that engine as it grows. So that's one reason why we do that. Another reason why we do that is because when you run easy, you put less stress on the neuromuscular and the musculoskeletal system so that you can stay healthy, so that you can, can continue to consistently run. Otherwise, if you're going too fast all the time, you're going to break down, you're going to get injured, you're going to get injured, and you're going to then not be able to actually keep up that easy volume. So slow down most of the time so that you can build engine size and stay healthy doing it. That is absolutely fundamental to training. And I get it. It's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive. And people question me all the time on this. You got to trust me. Not only do I live by that approach, but I also coach by it and have seen success across thousands of athletes doing it. What's interesting to me is that we seem to accept this concept in weight training but we don't, for whatever reason, accept it in running. But in weight training, the same principles apply. For the most part, when you're trying to improve your bench press, you're going in, you're lifting less weight, lower weight, more reps most of the time, and then occasionally you're maxing. So you're doing lower intensity weight with more volume most of the time, and then occasionally you're putting on a bunch of weight and maxing out. Same is true in running. Most of the time, we're doing lower intensity, i.e. lower pace, just like lower weight, with more volume, more reps most of the time, and then occasionally we max out. The principles of exercise are similar across strength and aerobic development, and yet we often don't think of it that way. So slow down most of the time. Again, the question here is, are you doing enough of your volume at easy efforts? That's question number one. Question number two, are you varying your run distances during the week in order to make sure that you're optimizing the overall picture? Are you varying your run distances during the week in order to make sure that you're optimizing the overall picture? Common mistake I see people make is that they're running similar distances every day of the week and there's no variation. 
And so you want to make sure you have that variation. And in particular, you want to make sure that you have a long run built into your plan. I recently advised a woman who is training for a PT test. She's trying to pass this one and a half mile PT test in order to graduate from the fire academy. And so I got to talk to her about her training and prepping her for running as fast as she can for one and a half miles, only one and a half miles. And one of the things that I talked to her about is actually having a proper long run. Long run, I put here in quotes because long is relative to the race you're training for, to the individual person and how you're preparing them. But ultimately, she needed to build her long run in order to have more volume in order to build aerobic capacity because at the later miles on those longer runs is when we really start to see the benefits of aerobic capacity building. So miles one to three, you're getting some of that, but miles say seven to 10 of a long run, you're getting much more of it. It's an exponential difference in terms of the benefit that you're seeing from those later miles than you are from those early miles. So you need to make sure that you have a long run built into your training, regardless of what distance you're training for. This woman was training for a mile and a half PT test. I wanted to see her get her long run up to 10 miles in training for that so that she could have the aerobic capacity in order to use her speed for the time frame she was going to be doing that PT test. And that's not uncommon regardless of the distance. I think I've said this before on the podcast, but the best milers in the world, the best 1500 meters and meter runners in the world are doing potentially 16 to 18 mile long runs every week in order to make sure that they have the aerobic endurance, the aerobic strength to use their speed at the end of a four lap race. And so regardless of the distance you're training for, it's important. And certainly it's especially important for those that are trying to do 10Ks and half marathon or half marathons and marathons because clearly you also need to be used to covering the distance. So make sure you have that variation, which means you have a long run built in that's distinct from all the other runs during the week. I want to see a medium long run built in during the week so that you have a second longer run of the week. And then typically you'll have a quality day and recovery days around that And those recovery days are typically going to be shorter. At a minimum, typically I like to see about three miles or 30 minutes if you're going by time for those recovery runs in order to get the benefit of movement, which creates blood flow, which promotes healing. But you're going to see that variation. Recovery runs are going to be shorter. The long runs are going to be significantly longer. And obviously, as you build volume for those that are more experienced, those recovery runs are going to extend and be longer, but they're still typically going to be shorter than those medium long runs and the long runs. So it's got to all fit together in a portfolio of distances that's going to allow you to optimize the whole. Again, each day has its purpose in your training, and you want to make sure that the distances and the pace, as I alluded to with question number one, are matched in a way on those different days so that you're building the puzzle, you're increasing that engine size and fine-tuning it in a way that's going to get you to be your fastest self. So question number two here is, are you varying your run distances during the week in a way to optimize the whole? And you want to see that variation at the simplest level with the long run, but then from there also making sure you've got that medium long run built in 
And then the recovery runs will be shorter, again, enough to create that movement and blood flow, which promotes healing, but not taxes you, that doesn't tax you in the same way that those longer runs do. You got to have that polarization, some long, some short, so that it all fits together in a way that works. So that's question number two again. Are you varying your run distances during the week in a way that optimizes the whole? Question number three, are you going slow enough on your easy days? Are you going slow enough on your easy days? And I use slow here only in the context of you. It's slow is only a term that I use relative to your own paces. There's no slow in the grand scheme or absolute sense. There's only degrees of fast. But here we're just talking about slow relative to your other paces. So are you going slow or are you going easy enough on your easy days? Here is the third, is the third question. And a related question there that kind of piggybacks here is, is the pace difference between your easy days and your recovery days enough? So you should be seeing variation on all of these runs. And if you're not seeing that variation, then again, you're suboptimizing the overall picture here. So are you going easy? Are you going easy enough on those easy days? And let's let's categorize these into two simple categories for a moment. If we're looking at easy days, then there's really two types. There's the medium long run and the long run. That should be done in easy effort. Then there's recovery runs. You want to see that you have variation between those two types of runs. The easy run, the long run, the medium long run, that's one. Recovery run is another. And if you're not seeing enough variation between those two, then we also have a problem. So the easy run and the long run needs to be easy enough. And then the recovery runs need to be even easier. Is that true for you in your training? Are you able to see the difference? I've talked about this before, but let's talk about those two different categories of paces for a second. So first of all, for the medium long run, in the long run, a typical rule of thumb there is that I want to see that that medium long run or long run be at least a minute slower than your target marathon pace or 90 seconds slower than your target half marathon pace. If that's not true, then you're not going easy enough on those medium long runs and long runs. Further, your recovery run should be another minute at least slower than that. So two minutes slower than marathon pace and or two and a half minutes slower than your target half marathon pace or slower. Really, in those situations, you can't go too slow. There is no limit on how slow you can go. It's mostly about movement and creating blood flow. And so I want you to go as easy as possible in order to make sure that you're actually getting recovery on those days. And what's what's interesting to me is that oftentimes when I'm talking about this topic, usually I get some people that are kind of squinting at me thinking that somehow I'm telling them to slow down their easy runs because I don't think they can handle running faster and that's not it. I'm not babying this for you. I'm not dumbing down this topic for you. I am telling you this because it will put you in the right zones to build aerobic capacity so that you can be faster when it matters. And it will also put you in the right space so that you can be healthy and be consistent. That's why I'm doing it. I'm not dumbing it down. I'm not babying you. I'm not doing this because you can't handle it. I'm doing this because this is how it works 
for you, your human body, and the elites use the same principles in order to get faster. And then after squinting at me, the next thing that people ask me is, well, what if I go faster than that or just a little bit faster than that? Or, you know, they start, they, they want to hedge. They want to kind of negotiate that line. Or, you know, what if I ran this, but I felt good. And ultimately, that's not what I want you to be asking yourself. I'm not, I don't want you to be asking yourself, how fast can you go? on these days, I want you to be asking yourself, how easy can I go in order to get it done and feel good about it? It's really, you should be thinking about it the other way. You should be flipping it. It's not how fast I can go to to be right at the limit, but rather it's how easy can I go to make sure I'm in the right place to build aerobic capacity and to protect my body as I build. So I want you to be erring on the conservative side in both easy long run pace and recovery run pace because that's where the real magic is because you're you're building aerobic capacity in a huge range huge range and so why wouldn't you be if it's true that I can build aerobic capacity for let's say someone who's a 9 minute per mile marathoner and I can build aerobic capacity at 10 minutes and slower. And typically what you'll see for, for people is that's about a four minute per mile range, 10 minutes to about 14 minutes per mile. We're building aerobic capacity in that entire zone. So why wouldn't I want to be as far away from the edge as possible if I can achieve the same aerobic capacity building result at 12 minutes a mile as I can at 11 as I can at 10? Why wouldn't I want to hang out that 11 or 12 minute range or 1030 in order to make sure that I'm going to be able to stay healthy while doing it because I'm not going to tax the system as much. So why wouldn't I want to err on the conservative side if it's as beneficial from an aerobic capacity building standpoint? Think about it that way versus the other way. And then the same is true for those recovery runs. Really on a recovery run, your body should dictate the pace. You should go as easy as your body dictates. For me, sometimes that's three minutes per mile, sometimes even four minutes per mile slower than my marathon pace because that's what my body needs in order to recover. And if you are willing to commit to that polarization on pace, then that's where you're going to see so many crazy, cool, magical things happen. You're going to be able to put more into your speed workouts because you're more recovered. You're also ultimately going to get faster because you're going to spend more time in that aerobic capacity building zone, that easy zone versus going too fast where you get into the no man's land of aerobic development where you're beating your head against the wall. So polarized pace as well. Are you going slow enough on those easy days is question number three. Before we get to question number four, I want to talk about my partner care of, and I think it's the the perfect time to talk about them. We're entering fall. We've got New year around the corner, and instead of waiting till January 1st to kick in on those resolutions, the things that you know you need to do to improve your health routine, now is the time. Let's do it now. Fall is the time to do that so that you don't have to wait for those benefits to kick in, especially as your training might be ramping up. So, 
go to takecareof.com. You can take their quiz and put in your goals. It'll give you an output that will give you some recommendations for things that you can take to optimize your health, some vitamins and minerals that might be beneficial to you based on those goals. You can build from there. You can choose the things you want in your individual subscription packs so that you can then have them take them in a way that's easy and you don't forget. I've been using them for over a year and a half now. It's how I get my vitamin D. It's how I get my ashwagandha for recovery. It's how I get my fish oil for heart health and a host of things that help me optimize my health so that ultimately I can then put my best foot forward in training. Plus, they have a free app now that allows you to manage everything and also get daily reminders as well as rewards for potential things to add to your packs as well as discounts and merch. So highly recommend you check out TakeCareOf.com and take the quiz. You can also use my offer code for 50% off your first order by simply going to TakeCareOf.com and entering the code ROGUE50 at checkout. That's Rogue50, R-O-G-U-E-5-0 for 50% off your first order. Again, I couldn't be more pleased with my year and a half plus working with them, and I know you'll be happy too, so go check it out. All right, let's get to question number four on my list of eight questions of are you polarizing your training enough? Question four is, are you doing strides? Are you doing strides? First of all, let me tell you what a stride is. A stride is a short controlled sprint. Talked about them before on the show, but I liked them in the form of 80 to 100 meters, where after a run, you do four to six of these, where you build your speed for a third over that 100 100 meter segment on flat ground. You build your speed for a third. You hold your speed at about 90 to 95% of peak speed. And then you let off the gas and cruise for the final third. You walk back and repeat. So it's a short controlled sprint for 80 to 100 meters built in or broken down into thirds as I just described. What are strides doing for you? Well, strides allow us to pair the easy running with just a dose a small dose of fine-tuned speed development that's going to help you maintain that speed and develop that speed over time, as well as it's going to help you become more efficient with your running form over time. I like to call strides, to use another analogy, I like to call strides little inoculations of speed. They're like allergy shots for speed. And if you're allergic to something, and you're taking allergy shots, you take one shot, it doesn't work. You take two shots, it doesn't work. You have to take shots over a period of many months to start to see benefit and ultimately over years to see the true benefit of immunity from allergy shots. Well, strides are kind of the same. One dose of strides doesn't necessarily make a difference, but if you do them consistently, at least once a week, week in, week out, over a period of months and then years, you're gonna start to see small incremental changes, most of them that will be imperceptible to you and you won't necessarily consciously note them but you will find that you'll get faster with your raw speed and you'll become more efficient with your form by doing them regularly so are you doing your strides once a week at least once a week i'm not talking about many i'm talking about four to six that's it small dose of this but if you do it consistently it will make a difference And then the next question is, well, where does that fit into the overall plan? 
preferably in my book, strides come after the medium long run. But if you don't have time to fit that in after that medium long run, then you can also do them after one of those recovery runs during the week. So you've got three potential options if you're running five days a week to potentially get those in. But get them in week in, week out. This is something that you have to do year round in order to get the full benefit. And again, that doesn't mean you have to be perfect. If you're not going to hit it some weeks, that's okay. But in general, the more consistent you can be with strides over time, those little inoculations of speed, the more you're going to build that speed as well as that efficiency in your form over time. So make sure you have strides in there because that's going to help balance out all that easy running and make sure those fast twitch muscles stay active and ready to be used on your race day. So that's question number four. Are you doing numbers? Are you doing strides? Question number five, are you working faster and slower than race pace? Are you working faster and slower than race pace? Meaning, do you have variation in the context of your speed workouts as well? I've talked about this a lot on the podcast, particularly how you need to periodize speed work over time, going from the priming phase to the aerobic strength phase to the race specific phase and then to the taper phase. And obviously in each one of those phases, you're going to be adjusting your speed work accordingly in order to build to the peak on race day. But essentially in the context of really all of those phases, you're going to be at some times working slower than race pace for your speed work. And at some times you're going to be working faster than race pace. And at some times you're going to be working at race pace. But the point is you need to be working all ends of the spectrum in the context of those periods in order to make sure that you can have range as an athlete. So you want to work sometimes faster than race pace in order to feel in order to make race pace feel easier particularly for half marathoners and marathoners, I like to work faster than race pace periodically during that race specific phase so that when you do go back to race pace, it feels more manageable. Also at times you're going to be need, you're going to need to work slower than race pace. Of course that depends on the race pace we're talking about, but certainly half marathoners will occasionally work slower than that at what you might call steady effort, which is another aerobic strength effort that helps us build aerobic strength and really improve our aerobic threshold. And if you're racing a 10K, then you might do work at tempo effort or about half marathon pace in order to improve aerobic strength as well. And even in the context of marathon pace, there's a time and a place to work a little bit slower than that, certainly on those easy runs. But even in the context of some workouts, you might choose to work slower than that in order to build efficiency at aerobic efforts, especially early in the cycle when you might be building into marathon pace. So the point is your speed work needs to be polarized as well. There's a time and a place for nearly every pace in the context of a training cycle. Obviously, that's going to depend on what race distance you're training for. But the moral of the story is make sure you're varying your paces in the context of your speed work as well. And you should see that really in any program is that you have that variation so that you stay well-rounded as a runner. So that's number five. Are you working faster and slower than race pace in the context 
of your speed workouts. Number six, are you training for a variety of races? Are you training for a variety of races? And in this case, I mean a variety in terms of distances. Talked about this many times on the podcast, but if you're going to be a marathoner and you really want to optimize your marathon, then you need to be at times working other distances as well. You need to drop down and do a speed track working 5K and 10K speed. You need to periodically work on the half marathon distance so that you can build that aerobic endurance, that aerobic strength. So that when you go back to the marathon, then you have more tools in your toolkit. You can bring more to bear because the faster you can run a 5K, the faster you can run a 10K, faster you can run a half, the faster you can run a marathon. And it all works together. And if you're a half marathoner, same thing. You really want to make sure you're working those shorter distances as well to be well-rounded as a runner. And if you want to optimize the half, it wouldn't hurt you to occasionally do some over distance as well. Even if that's not a full marathon, doing perhaps a 15 mile race, a 25K or a 30K would, could potentially be beneficial to you in building volume so that you build aerobic capacity when you go back down to the half. So it all works together and you want to stay well-rounded as an athlete. Those that tend to plateau are those that will continually race the same distance that become very one-dimensional, particularly those marathoners who choose to do two to three marathons a year and that's all they're ever training for. You will plateau, you will lose some of that top end speed, which is only going to limit your potential in the marathon. So you have to work all distances and in racing and in training in order to be the best version of you. And I like to, in general, set a rule of thumb that you're doing, if you're marathon training, that you're doing one of each type of cycle a year. We can peak two to three times a year, but if you're having a three peak year, then that could be one peak for 5K or 10K distance, perhaps both, since you can usually race a couple of those races pretty close together. One peak for a half marathon and one peak for a marathon. If you can do that and if you can mix it up over those the, the variety of races, then you're going to do better at all distances. It's just the way it works. And I understand for those that prefer the longer stuff, that the shorter, faster stuff can be terrifying because it's a very different type of pain. But I promise you, if you dig into it, then it won't be as scary when you get some experience there. But also, again, it will make you faster for the long stuff when you go back up. So mix up those race distances. Make sure you're covering the spectrum. And look, there's a time and a place where you may decide to do two marathons in a year in back-to-back cycles. That has potentially a place, but just make sure that over time you're getting that variety because if you're not getting that variation in race distance, again, you're going to see a plateau at whatever distance you've chosen to focus on. So get that variety in race distance. All right, that's number six. Are you training for a variety of race distances Before we get to those final two questions, I wanted to quickly mention my partnership with Zencaster. Fun fact, I've actually been working working with and using Zencaster since 2015. Some of you may not know this, but I had a podcast before Running Rogue called Dads on Duty. Duty spelled D-O-O-D-Y that I did with a friend of mine. It was a dad podcast talking about raising kids. We each had three young ones at the time, and so we cut our teeth in podcasting, essentially doing a parenting podcast 
for a year. There's about 52 episodes out there. You can still find it on Apple uh, Podcasts if you want to go search for it. Might be entertaining for you. But started using Zencaster actually when I was recording remote interviews with that podcast. Still use it today for remote interviews. You can use it for audio. You can use it for video. It helps you eliminate the potential quality issues you might have by transmitting audio or video over bandwidth. So highly recommend Zencaster. I've been using them for a really long time. I've got two potential ways for you to partner with them. One, you can use their service. So if you want to use the same service that I use to help you record content just like this, you can go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and enter promo code ROGUE30. R-O-G-U-E-3-0, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of their service. So Zencaster.com forward slash pricing, use promo code ROGUE30 for 30% off your first three months. Or if you'd like to partner with shows like mine and tell your brand story, you could also become an ad partner with Zencaster by going to zen.ai forward slash running rogue, filling out the contact information there, and they will reach out to you about partnering with them with their ad platform. So again, that's zen.ai forward slash running rogue to tell your story on podcasts like mine. So go check it out. Been using Zencaster for going on seven years now myself. Okay. So let's get to these final two questions in terms of is your training polarized enough? Question number seven, just like the last one, gets to some bigger picture questions. And this question is, is there a difference between your peak training mode and your post-race recovery? Is there a difference between your peak training mode and post-race recovery? So this question gets to the basic concept that across a training year, you also need to have polarization so that you have those windows of time where you're in peak training. It might be five to six weeks in each of those peaking periods. So not more than 15 to eight week, 18 weeks in a total year where you're really on it. You're at your peak mileage. You're doing those most intense workouts you're riding that edge in training so that you can ultimately get the most out of yourself on race day. That's a part of the year, but it's not more than 15 to 18 weeks. So we're talking about a third of the year. And then the rest of the year, you're going to have variation from that, both building and training, but certainly in those post-race windows where you need that two to three week period after a big race to reset, to drop your mileage a little bit, Certainly get some runs in for recovery purposes, but do it in a very casual and ad hoc way, driven by your 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 motivation and by what your body is telling you so that you can have that opportunity for your body to reset, exhale, recover from that peak period, detrain, because that's an important part of training back again to a higher peak, detrain, and then start those cycles Again, so you need to make sure you have that variation across the year so that you have that space in the year to certainly work hard and be on the edge and be pressing, but then on the other side of that to be able to relax, to be less on it in terms of training, both physically and mentally, and give your body that opportunity to reset. I'm a big believer in year round training and year round consistency. But that doesn't mean that there can't be different versions and flavors of that. 
And you're going to have that flavor that I mentioned in that peak period where you're on the edge, you're trying to do everything right, you're dialed in physically and mentally, but then you need to have the opposite of that as well, where you're going to have those windows of time where you're taking it more casually, you're mixing things up, you're not following a rigorous training schedule, you're moving, you're running in order to maintain that foundation, but only in a way that you're mentally motivated to do and you're physically feeling good about. And it needs to be casual for certain windows. And that might only be six to nine weeks of the year, but that's an important part of the process as well because you have to detrain, recover, so that you can then build back to a higher place again. And without those periods of recovery across a year, then you're going to ultimately hit a plateau as well because you're going to be beating your head against the wall continuously. You can't stay on edge for too long. We, we just aren't built that way. So you got to have that variation throughout the year as well. So that's question number seven. Is there a difference between your peak training and that post-race recovery period? Are you seeing enough variation and polarization there? Last question before we wrap things up here is, Are you balancing stress and recovery well? Are you balancing stress and rest well? And in this case, I'm not necessarily talking about complete rest, doing nothing. I'm talking about active recovery, active rest. And in this case, I'm not necessarily talking about life stress. I'm talking about training stress, although life stress is a component of that. Ultimately, are you getting the polarization you need in the context of your training and in your lifestyle so that you can balance the stress you're giving yourself in training with the recovery that you need to actually build back from that training stress in order to get to a higher place. And so this is a bigger picture overarching question, which is why I left it for last, that really captures all of those pieces. And there's different subcomponents. There's certainly the training part. And a lot of the training subcomponents are embedded in these questions I've already asked you. You know, are you seeing that variation in your training stress with your active recovery so that your body is actually able to incorporate the work and build to a higher place of fitness? That's a part of it. Another part of it is, are you actually balancing life stress? You can only run and train as much as your constraints in life allow you to and there are seasons of life and there's times and place when you might have external factors that are affecting your training and you need you need to make sure that those elements aren't necessarily getting your in your in the way of your training as well because you can only run as many miles as you can recover from and a part of that question is in terms of how many miles you can do is What's the total life stress as well that might be preventing you from recovering and getting the full benefit of the work? And sometimes we got to balance things and perhaps lower the training stress if life stress is higher in order for it all to fit together and work. So when you step back from it, are you balancing stress and recovery well so that you can build to a higher place? One of the ways to ask yourself that question Beyond asking yourself, am I doing the recovery things I need to be doing? Am I sleeping? Am I fueling properly post-race? Am I doing the recovery modalities like foam rolling, self-massage, and mobility that might help me recover? Am I doing those things? 
in a way that's going to be productive and help me rebuild? And also, what is the underlying data from my body telling me? What is my resting heart rate telling me? If you use heart rate variability as a tool, what is it telling me? I've done an episode on heart rate variability, and we can now measure that through Aura Rings and Whoop Rings, and you can use the HRV4 app on your phone and use your phone camera to take a morning reading to look at that. But what is that underlying heart rate data telling me about the overall balance in my training load? And I track, right now I track my resting heart rate every morning using the simple app that I have on my phone and, and my phone's camera. I've stopped using my aura ring and we can talk about why in another episode, but I still check my resting heart rate every morning. And that to me is an indicator of how well I'm recovering because when that's elevated a little bit, then that's a sign that I'm not getting that balance right. So for me, typically, if I'm fully rested, my resting heart rate will be somewhere in the high 40s. When I'm in training mode, when I'm in more rigorous training mode, then typically it'll be in the low 50s. But when something's off, when something's amiss, then I'll see a reading that's 55 or above in the morning. And that's a sign that something's wrong. It could mean I haven't recovered well enough from a prior workout. It could mean I've got some illness or sickness potentially creeping in. Could mean that there's some life stress that's affecting one of the variables. But that's a sign that something is wrong in the balance of my overall life and work and training that needs to be adjusted. And so to me, that throws up a red flag and I kind of evaluate and do a self-evaluation of everything and I decide then how to adjust because it might mean backing off from a workout, skipping a workout and doing an easy run instead. It might mean cutting volume a little bit on a day. Could mean taking a day off and getting more sleep. It could mean a variety of things. It could mean recognizing that there's a life stress element that I need to address and I might need to cut back on my training a little bit in terms of the overall rigor while that life stress plays out. So that is an overarching question that you have to ask that really embeds a lot of the sub answers to the other seven questions, but it's that ultimate gut check. And you can use heart rate data, you can use HRV data if you track it to basically assess whether or not you're getting that balance right. But you can also just ask yourself, how am I doing? What do I feel? Do I feel like training is building for me or do I feel like I'm stuck in a rut for some reason? In which case I may need to evaluate the answers to one of these other questions or I may need to evaluate the balance between training and life in a way that will help me continue to build versus beating myself up or digging a hole. So that's the last overarching question. Am I balancing stress and recovery well in order to build or is something getting in the way of that and I'm just digging a bigger hole? So that's the final question, overarching question number eight. So we'll wrap it here, but to quickly recap, I want you to ask yourself these eight questions. One, am I doing enough volume? at easy efforts? Am I following that 80-20 rule that I talked about? Number two, are you varying your run distances during the week so that you have differentiation between the long run and the recovery runs and the other runs that you're doing? Number three, am I going slow enough on my easy days, including 
Is there a difference between my recovery runs and my other easy runs, like my long runs and medium long runs? Number four, am I doing strides to get that high-end little dose, little inoculation of speed at least once a week? Number five, am I in my speed workouts working occasionally faster and slower than race pace in order to get that full depth of speed work in the context of the training cycle? Number six, am I training for a variety of races throughout the year? My work in 5Ks and 10Ks, as well as half marathons and marathons to be that well-rounded runner. Number seven, is there a difference between my peak training mode and what that looks like versus those periods after a race where I'm in recovery? Number eight, am I balancing stress and recovery well when I look at the big picture? What is my body telling me about that overall balance so that I can make sure that I'm continuing to build to a higher place. So look yourself in the mirror, answer those eight questions for yourself, and then make adjustments if needed in order to get that balance right. So we'll wrap it here. Thanks as always for listening. Thanks to my partners for this episode, Care Of, as well as Zencaster. I'll include those offer codes in the show notes so you can check them out there. You'll sign off here. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next week.